Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech, a podcast mapping out the Swiss and global fintech scene, connecting fintech enthusiasts with startups, incubators, accelerators, business angels and VCs, and incumbents interested in partnerships. Voice of Fintech will help you navigate the fintech ecosystem. Here you can listen to the startup founder stories, what investors and incumbents are looking for when dealing with startups, and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'll be hosting this podcast. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech. Today we're going to talk to Mary and Mary actually makes InsurTech exciting. It can be exciting because she's an entrepreneur based in Berlin, originally from Estonia. And we're going to talk about what's needed when it comes to uh, home content insurance, when it comes to rental apartments, what is the pain point where the traditional insurers fall short of customers' expectations and how to make it better. So welcome. How are you today, Mary? Hello. Uh, thank you for having me here. I'm great. I'm happy to contribute to the show. Brilliant. So tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you become an entrepreneur, first of all, and, and why? And, and lastly, why in InsurTech? Because for people who actually see the traditional insurance process as a little bit of a pain, then it may be a bit surprising that you choose it voluntarily. Yes, actually, my background is that I'm a lawyer. I have a degree in law, and I used to work as a lawyer for quite many years in in Ernst and Young as a commercial law advisor and a tax advisor. And then at some point, it was I think twelve years ago, I decided that I want to do something more ambitious. I want to build up my own teams. I want to take more risks and so on. And then I started with my first company. It was also an advisory company. But soon after that, I met my co-founder. And with my co-founder, we have built up several businesses. And Insmo is actually our second one, which pivoted from Bike ID, which was the first one. And to be honest, we both did not come from insurance industry. So we don't, didn't have any know-how about the insurance industry. And the, the, one of the projects we started, the Bike ID, was an international bike registry. And we allowed people to register the bikes and we cooperated with the police and you can find your bikes with this, uh, with this registry. And one of the value-added services we had over there was bike insurance. And we built up a great technology, how to register a bike and how to insure your bike. And when we pitched this idea and this concept to different insurances uh, to get bike insurance, to sell bike insurance in Europe, then the feedback we got that this is such a great technology that why don't you use it in serving uh, other products and services and not only just bike insurance. And, and then we got the idea that maybe this is what the market needs. Maybe this fully digital instant insurance experience is something what the market needs. And then Bike ID made a pivot in 2016 and we became a broker for different property and casualty insurances. So now for four years, we have been, we have been trying to find our niche inside the insurance space and selling with different property casualty insurances. And we have come to serving the rental industry primarily. I see. So I see that you didn't come from this angle of an insurer, but uh, rather a user, right? Yes. So obviously yes. you are based in Berlin, just like in the Netherlands. I think a lot of people use bikes, same thing in Switzerland. When it comes to rental, let's start from the beginning. What does Insmo do? What is the problem that you're really solving? When you want to rent an apartment, you need to put a deposit. Sometimes it's uh, one and a half months, sometimes it's three months. 
So what is the problem that you have discovered in Germany? Yes, as I mentioned, we were for several years, we were trying to find our niche in the insurance space because we didn't want to be one of those providers who sells all types of insurances, multiple channels and so on and so forth, because you lose your focus like this. And we have been always searching for our niche. And when we investigated our customer persona back then, we understood that they have something in common, like 90% of those customers were all tenants. And we were tenants in Berlin and we knew the pain points uh, of, of different tenants in 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 Berlin and also other European countries. And what we understood is that moving to a rental home is always super, super exciting. But with every rental home comes a burden of hefty deposits, insurance procedures, moving expenses, and it's a great financial burden. And moreover, 80% of renters in Europe are living paycheck to paycheck. Uh, this means that almost 40% of our income come to rent. And there is a heavy financial burden of all those individuals that we're now trying to help. And why we have ended up burdening the tenants so much is that the, the landlords are insecure when renting out their property. For landlords, it's common to run different credit checks at the beginning of the rental relationships to mitigate the risks and ask for high security deposits to ensure that the tenant, tenant is a solid one. But, uh, but they also have a problem that managing all those deposits and all these uh, tenant relationships doing the credit checks is a massive administrative burden. And also what begins to happen is that people might have lumpy incomes or they might have spikes in their financial responsibilities and they might not have the cash on, at hand or there's to smooth that over. And these, in these cases, we see that rapid evictions are quite common. And this is a really unpleasant experience for both counterparts. So what we're doing is we are building the financial and insurance services to help both sides of the lease. So we aim to call all kinds of insurance services that tenants and landlords need to avoid and to reduce rental debts, free up liquidity and offer a proportion of financial freedom to, to the tenants and landlords. So it's enabling fast move-ins, getting rents in on time, making sure that the cash flow is there and making sure that we're not evicting people. So it's lifting this financial burden on the tenant side, but also giving enough security for the landlords so that they can save up time on administrative costs, they can save up time and not to deal with evictions of people and provide, fill the gap of financial services in the rental industry. So this is our goal and this is what we're doing here. All right, understood, but let's paint a picture and uh, use an example. So say I want to move to Berlin from January, I found a great place and they asked me for three months deposit, right? Because you say, you don't have a history in Germany, you're a foreigner. So tough luck, three months. Or if you don't like it, you can pay the rent up front for 12 months. So then I come to you. How can you help? In the move-in, you can use a rental deposit insurance, meaning that you do not have to pay thousands of euros as a deposit anymore. But instead of that, you will have an insurance policy. And whenever something happens that you create a damage in the apartment or you do not pay your rent, then the landlord can use this insurance policy and make a claim to um, Insmo, to the insurance company. And we will take care of the cost of damage or unpaid rent to the landlord. And, uh, and also, as we have you now as a client, uh, because uh, you bought the rental deposit for us, we also offer you different types of coverages to insure the stuff in your household, electronics, um, other equipment you have in your household. And we aim to provide all the services like accidental coverage for accidental damages, coverage for liabilities and so on and so forth. So everything that resonates with renting a new home. And in the future, we also see that if moving is such a huge expense for people, 
They also might need some small credits to furnish their households or to help them to move into the apartments faster. And what we also see that, that there's not only insurance products that we can serve to those customers, but different types of financial solutions that help them to move in and stay in the apartment. Because maybe sometimes you have a difficult situation with your income, maybe you need a small credit for that, or maybe sometimes you would need to break down your monthly rental payment to weekly payments that would resonate with the gig economy workers and so on and so forth. So there's a variety of uh, financial services and products we would like to offer to both tenants and to the landlords, but the, primarily to take this heavy burden of paying thousands of euros as a deposit and buying furniture and moving into a new household, we would like to make this burden much more lighter for the tenants. I see. It's great. But let's talk about details a little bit because you did mention before you're a broker, right? So you're not the underwriter. So I guess the insurers provide you with the policies underneath. So how does this work? Obviously, I think it's brilliant. It's just the deposits were invented when we didn't have such products, right? So who created this product? Are you just a distribut distributor or did you create or manufacture this product and now you found partners who actually will underwrite it? How did this come about? All our products that we sell right now are actually designed by ourselves and together with our partners because we are operating 100% B2B2C and we want to leverage on the customer basis of our partners, which means that we want to be the best technical provider and we want to be the best in terms of insurance products, premiums and so on. So usually we design in-house our products and we are looking for underwriter for those products. We have had so far great cooperations with different insurance companies companies like Elvetia Insurance, Societe Generale, and so on and so forth. But uh, we also understood that, that uh, the ambition that we have and the product portfolio we would like to create to serve those tenants and landlords, it doesn't, these products do not exist yet because it's like an open space at the moment on the market. And we understood that if we want to be testing out new products, uh, new approaches, then in order to be fast, Insmo has to be become uh, responsible also for the underwriting and risk. And therefore, we are pretty much in the finish line of, of applying for our own uh, insurer's license, which means that next year, at some point, Insmo will become a, a full-stack insurance company with its own underwriting capability and is capable of designing and issuing its own products. I see. Cool. Maybe one more follow-up on this. What about the landlord? So, obviously... It depends on the situation in that city, right? In some cities, it's very difficult to find an apartment to rent. And uh, so I think if you come with something new, where they may not know about this, uh, therefore it would be maybe a bit more effort from proceed by them, they may still insist on the deposit. So what's the acceptance been on the landlord side? With the landlords is the the landlords also do have problems with managing their tenants and managing all those deposits because especially in Central Europe it's very common that we don't have a lot of private people owning one or two apartments and renting them out. It's very com common that companies own a huge uh, portfolio of apartments like some own thousand, ten thousand, some even hundreds of thousands of apartments that they're renting out and now can you imagine the administrative burden to manage all those tens or hundreds of thousands of deposits on a daily basis. It's a huge cost for also for the landlords. It would be much easier for them to have an insurance partner. And whenever they have a case with a tenant, they just forward the claim to the insurance partner and the insurance partner will take it from there. 
Also, in addition to that, it's it's what we would help landlords to do is to we help them to manage rental risk more effectively and to avoid and reduce rental debts. It's all about getting rents in on time, making sure that the cash flow is there, making sure that we're not evicting people. And this is how the rental business ultimately operates. And this is like what the landlords actually want to focus on, not uh, on uh, dealing and messing with uh, the renters. And uh, when there's too high bad debt, it ends up really hurting both, both sides of the business. So it's one of the things that the landlords are very in tune with and trying to reduce. And we're here to, uh, here to help to fill this kind of gap. So we have had very positive feedback also on the landlord side. It depends really on city to city because in some countries, the general rule is that if the landlord collects the rental deposit, they have to put it on a bank account, pay the bank fees and not to use this in any circumstances. But in few countries, it is allowed for landlords to use the deposits for their own purpose until they're capable of paying out or paying back those deposits when it's the right time. But uh, it's allowed and for landlords, it's kind of like uh, a stream of cash flow or, or, or stream of additional income. So, of course, we cannot tackle those landlords. And, and on these markets, our products will not be like super, super beneficial for the landlords. But in the majority of European markets, the pattern is the same or the rules are the same that you are not supposed to use the cash deposit on your own on your own benefit uh, if you're a landlord. In many countries... In the days, during the days when the interest rates were higher than zero and uh, they will be again, right? That interest income belonged to the tenant, even though the deposit was held by the landlord. But maybe there is one more follow-up question that is quite obvious here is how do you determine the premium? Because in many countries, as you said, in Central Europe, the credit worthiness is binary, right? It's either you're on the bad debt register or you're not. So it's not like in the US where you have a credit score and uh, people talk about using alternative data and things like this. But how do you determine the pricing? Because where I'm going with this is that you said that this was an open space and it was abandoned by traditional insurers. But I thought, I I think there must be a reason for it. And it's probably that it was much harder and uh, to service this uh, segment, right, without technology that we have today. So with the algorithms that we have, the information that is out there, we can determine the credit worthiness or the whether what the insurance premium should be much better and more cheaply and more automated way. And therefore, we can extend this sort of product to people that we or the traditional insurers wouldn't have done in the past. So how do you determine whether if I come into Berlin and you don't know anything about me, what the insurance premium should be? And uh, whether I could get it at all or not, maybe I was evicted from my last five apartments because I destroyed them or something. And you still give me insurance because you don't check. How does that work? So um, naturally, also, we do have different types of requirements for people with different profiles, not necessarily always higher premiums, but sometimes higher deductibles so that their own skin in the game is a little bit bigger when something bad happens. So that you pay the same premium as everybody else, but in case of an accident damage or unpaid rent, your deductible is higher than maybe for people whose credit information we have at hand. Of course, we use a lot of data from the local national credit registries, and we have connections with the credit registries, and we are developing currently connections also with the registries abroad. And we are also in the, in the 
uh, process of creating our own credit uh, scoring solution, which allows us to also evaluate people who come from abroad. And for example, if you move to Germany and you don't have a track record or credit history in Germany, we are still able to create a sort of profile for you from the data available and the data available from the countries where you're coming from. This enables us to evaluate or create you a preliminary credit a credit record that would be sufficient to us. And uh, whatever data we will have available about you, and based on this data, we can also issue a policy based on your profile. So meaning that if we have a lot of data about you and we know that your credit uh, history is good, then we can issue a policy to you with the low, lower deductible or lower premium. And where the customer profile is a little bit more risky, we can play with the dynamics of the product. So this is also uh, the beauty of underwriting your own products is that you can approach to each uh, customer individually. And just because some customers have a higher risk profile than the others, we shouldn't punish the others with higher premiums or higher deductibles because we have a proportion of customers that have not sufficient credit history or can be a little bit with a lower credit profile. All right, understood. And now you mentioned that you are a B2BC company. Uh, A lot of people talk about these days about customer centricity. So what does that mean for you? Who is your key customer our key customer our key customers we have two stakeholders so we have tenants who we are serving and we have landlords who we are serving with different types of products and services so we are serving those two stakeholders so if we are serving the tenants via b2c then we use uh, partnerships like brokers marketplaces landlords and so on and so forth in order to sell the policy to the tenant And uh, in that sense, we usually operate via online marketplaces or brokers or e-commerce channels. And when the customer gets very easily our policy from the partner, then they are immediately being invited to Insmos ecosystem via app or website. They can manage their policy super easily. They can uh, submit claims very easily. And also they can have the experience of a fully digital and always live information about how the claims is going and what additional information is needed. And usually we handle claims in one or two working days, but we are constantly automizing also this process. And our dream is basically to build up an instant claims handling procedure where Let's say you drop your phone, you have insurance, you submit the claim, and in five minutes' time, you will have the money in your bank account. So this is the kind of experience we are uh, striving towards because nobody has the problem selling their insurances online in 30 seconds or in one minute. Nobody has this problem. But the ugly truth in insurance comes out in the claims handling process when the customer really needs this service now. And if you keep the customer hanging for a month for a, or a tiny, tiny crack on the mobile screen, something really like uh, insignificant, this creates a, a very bad customer experience and this customer is lost for you. Absolutely. You mentioned your plans to get a license and be essentially an insurance company yourself. So it sounds like your key clients are really the tenants and the landlords and the insurers or the incumbents are really just your partners for the time being. Now... Let's talk about the younger generations like millennials and Gen Zs. Why do you think there is so much demand for these insurtech services? And why are 
traditional insurers reacting slowly to their demands. Why this, these generations have a higher need for insurtech services is that how we are used to use our other products and services. So if everything else, like my banking services and everything else is in my laptop, in my phone, then and everything is digital, everything is instant, I have the same expectation towards my insurance services. So why should this be lagging behind? It's one of the biggest and wealthiest industry in the world. And I'm expecting the same kind of experience from my insurance providers. And why have insurers been so slow on providing this experience to the customers? There can be two two kind of key points here. One is the whole legacy and, and that the, the industry is extremely regulated that uh, creates a lot of like boundaries in terms of what you can and what you cannot do. The second thing is that when there is enough business in, in, in an industry or in an insurance company, they might be a little bit reluctant to a significant change. They do not have this pain that something is going dramatically broken if we do not do this or if we don't do this immediately. So they are very cautious on developing new concepts, new experiences and so on and so forth because they actually do not have this huge pain that customers are running away, they have enough business and they might be comfortable with this. Until there will be a significant shift towards insurtechs or insurtech providers, until then we will not see a huge shift on the like old school incumbent side. Nevertheless, I do see that there is a second wave of insurtech coming, meaning that it will be different than the first one. Like we will not see any more hundreds of millions of cash going into B2C company, building up like huge brands, doing IPOs fast and so forth. But we will see a little bit more of maturity in the insurtech space and we will see more cooperation between insurtechs and insurance companies, but um, uh, these the precondition of those uh, these corporations is something some level of maturity on the insurtech side, so that the incumbents are no longer willing to take just a leap of faith that you have a great tech or you have a great business case and let's try it out together because it's a huge investment on the incumbent side to go into a relationship with an insurtech and start a new business concept. We will definitely see more digital experiences and more corporations between insurtech and incumbents coming in the coming years, I'm sure. And we will definitely see more success stories of insurtechs who have become incumbents themselves. On the other hand, the incumbents have been around for a long time, so they have a tremendous franchises, right? They have millions of customers, they have deep pockets, and you are competing with them. So... How does that work at your end? What is your business model? How do you make money? Mm -hmm. So um, this is also one of the reasons why we thought that it's super critical to find yourself a niche and become really good in this niche. And uh, our niche, the rental industry, is also a significant niche. It's We're talking about a massive and growing industry globally, and it's our niche. So this is where we want to be, and this is where we find that without burning a lot of cash, we can become big and we can become successful because this niche enables us to leverage on like multiple B2B2C 
corporations to work together with brokers, landlords, marketplaces, and so on and so forth. So it enables also our access to a large pool of customers, a low customer acquisition cost. So I think if you want to compete with large incumbents, you just have to be a little bit smarter on the side that which niche are you going to pick, which they are overlooking at the moment, and how you're going to get the significant proportion of the market quite fast. So who will help you do that and without burning heavily cash on acquiring those customers and proving your business case. So um, our business case today is to access tenants and landlords via B2B2C partnerships to acquire the customers cheaply in a way that we don't have to sell four or five policies in order to break even, but we can already make money with the first sale. All right. But do so do you charge commissions or partnership fees? Yes. How does that work? Mm-hmm. So today we act as a traditional agent. We are an MGA and we make commissions for each policy that we're selling to the customer. I see. All right. Now, moving on, obviously, it's still evident in 2022 that we have a huge gender funding gap. And you also see there are only a few female entrepreneurs in fintech or insurtech. How has this shaped the way you run your business? I can definitely like resonate with this topic because fundraising for females is definitely something that has been a hot topic, sometimes maybe hidden hidden topic globally. And in that sense, we see that the, the insurance or insurtech industry is extremely male-dominated. And you can see it from the conferences and from the spokespersons that are publicly available. And also you can see which are the successful insurtech startups. They are mainly male-dominated, right? But uh, I have been using so far this as a benefit for Insmo, that Insmo is being run by a female founder, because uh, we do get a lot of attention because of that. We have had a great presence in media, we have a great presence in conferences, and this has been a thing that has been putting us uh, a little bit upfront. And also like the female concentration in Insmo today is uh, 60% female, 40% male. So in that sense, we do have a great diversity and it's definitely something that encourages more females to get engaged with fintech and insurtech. And and why do I think it is this way that fintech has less female entrepreneurs? I think it's about the industry itself. It's not something that is extremely exciting and insurance by its nature, insurance is boring. Nobody wakes up 3 a.m. in the morning and thinks about their next new insurance product, right? This industry itself or this insurance itself quite uh, like it's very regulated, it's very cumbersome, it has a lot of legal and administrative points, a lot of compliance. And maybe it's not just extremely exciting to to female entrepreneurs. And when it comes to fundraising, then I do buy with this topic. And what I have seen around is that when you are a female founder of a tech company and you are not a tech person yourself or a developer yourself, so that's seen seen a little bit uh, as an issue or there is a bias around that. But if you're a male and you're not a tech person and you're running a tech company, this sort of is not a huge problem. We do still have those biases around no matter what in what the industry you're working in uh, as a female entrepreneur. And uh, to be honest, I do not uh, know how to change it. I think it's just that time will tell that there's already a service out. Th- sorry, there's already researchers out there 
that have found that the female female run companies are more profitable than male led companies for so i think it's just that female founders have just a little bit proving to do in order for make the, in order to make investors comfortable to invest in female led companies i see so hopefully this situation will improve rapidly very soon before we wrap up i just have two easy questions for you first one is do you have any books or other learning tools such as for example blinkist or anything else what would you recommend where do you find the most important or useful information for you to learn some of the books i would recommend i think one of the books that would be extremely useful for a startup that has just found itself or it's in a scaling phase is from startup to grown up by alisa cohn I have read this book I think 3 times. I read it twice and and listened to it in an audiobook th- uh, once and it gave such great tools how to grow your company, how to have the tough discussions with your team members, your, your co-founders and so forth. So it's extremely practical. And the, the other thing I have used a lot is the wisdom books of Marty Kagan. It's about building great products and building great innovative products and how to run like agile product development. So this is extremely extremely great material that I would recommend to any product people and that is any startupper. And I do not use any specific tools like Blinkist or others at the moment. I'm at the moment also studying in Stanford University to lead innovation. So there I get a lot of practical tools to run a company to run innovation and and this is also the kind of knowledge I want to pass on to my teams and to my managers in the company. And that's an online course from Stanford or Yes, yes. Okay. It's a one year one year course about leading innovation. All right, brilliant. Sounds great. Good luck with obviously getting the license and growing the business further. What is the best way for people to reach out and get in touch with you? Yes, uh, feel free to reach out to me over LinkedIn. So we have also several open positions today. We are fundraising, we are hiring, we are growing. So happy to have a lot of experts on board and uh, to grow the company together with them. Fantastic. So good luck Mary, good luck mm-hmm. to you and Insmo and uh, just uh, pay attention hiring and fundraising. <laughs> so thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info@voiceoffintech.com. At Happy to hear from you. Thank you.